this is Nicole Desain. Welcome to Talent Tales, the show where I interview leaders who have brought design thinking to their talent and HR practices. In today's episode, we have a special guest on the show. I'm joined by Jessica Haas, an attorney who works at a New York State agency. Welcome, Jessica. Hi, Nicole. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming. And as usual, we are curious about you and your story. Okay, so um, I am an investigative attorney, as you uh, mentioned. Um, I'm also a former prosecutor, and the majority of my career has been spent in the private sector within New York City and state. Um, I was raised in uh, Philadelphia. I've lived in New York for about 25 years, and I spent my formative college years in North Carolina. Um, I'm a daughter, a sister, and an aunt and a friend, and I take all of those roles very seriously. Um, and I'm very project oriented. So right out of college um, with some friends, I started um, a club called the Experience Club that we kind of experienced with or experimented with. And I'm also right now dabbling in a um, holiday delivery service uh, in New York City, in, a, in addition to my work as a, as a lawyer. Love it. I think you're the first attorney on the show. So this is, and, and we'll talk about why that is. So this is, uh, I always love to have guests who come from outside HR and bring their perspectives. So thanks for joining us. And uh, one thing people always want to know is what's your superpower? You know, I thought about this a little. I think, it's, <laughs> I, think people, I think everyone has more than one superpower. And so mm -hmm. the purposes of our conversation, I think what's relevant is that I think I'm a relationship builder. Mm. Um, and I think part of uh, the things that make me a good relationship builder in you know both professionally and personally is that I'm curious. And I think that kind of lends mm -hmm. itself to learning about people and I'm authentic. So I think people feel comfortable sort of uh, talking to me and you know sort of sharing with me. And mm -hmm. so I think that kind of helps me do that. And so- um, Did you bring a visual for us? I did. I'm not a very good, I'm not a very good artist. That's uh, okay. Stick figures are fine. Yeah. So I brought a stick, I did stick figures yeah. uh, that are really nondescript um, and they're good. holding hands together and there's about four of them because that's what I could fit on the page. Um, <laughs> Love it. So I thought that was a good sort of representation, representation of being a relationship. Yeah. I always say that too, because HR people say the same. I'm not creative. I can't draw. And I'm like, you know, you don't have to be a Picasso. You need to get your point across. And you did. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's all that matters. So that, love that. and love that superpower. And your point is well taken that we probably have more than one. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes I think it helps us crystallize. What are we really good at? Because sometimes people, I think, feel shy about that and they're better at pointing out what they're not good at. So I think it also helps a little bit with our confidence to say, yeah, you know, that's my superpower. Yeah. <laughs> really lean into that. So into that power. So um, I'm really excited to talk to you about, about a project or an initiative rather. That's kind of how we connect it. So um, the initiative is called a hundred interesting conversations. Tell us a little bit about it. How did it come about and what is it? So um, it actually kind of was the idea, not specifically this idea, but um, was sort of floated to me by a professor that I had in college who um, I would say probably 10 or 15 years ago, I was at a bit of a professional crossroads and I was talking to him sort of 
into mentor mentee capacity. And he was just saying like, look, sometimes you just have to have conversations and just Hmm. sit people down and ask them like the nitty gritty, like questions that, you know, what does your day look like? Um, Hmm. What are the things you like? What are the things you don't? And just like get like, just ask questions and have conversations and that will kind of start to put you on the right path and at least give you other questions to ask and maybe help narrow the road a bit. Um, and so I, that's always been in the back of my head, but I never actually took the advice uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And then in the beginning of January, 2022, um, I did, I kind of felt, found myself at another sort of professional and personal crossroads. And I saw on LinkedIn that a contact of mine or you know, acquaintance of mine who also had the same professor posted something on LinkedIn saying, I'm looking to you know, have conversations about his, um, he was working on, I think on a w, uh, web three um, platform. And so he was looking for people in that space. And, you know, I just kind of filed that away. I don't have anything to contribute on web three, but I was like, oh, it's, you know, reach out to him just to say hi. And then that same day I happened to have, um, was supposed to have coffee with a friend and we shifted it to a Zoom call um, because it was kind of in the middle of the Omicron surge and it was just kind of a safer situation. And it was kind of at that, the same day that I saw him posting about having conversations and then having this conversation with a friend who was not a good friend of mine, but that someone who was in the, I don't know, that I, I used to have some frequent contact with, but you know, because of the pandemic, I hadn't talked to in a while. And I just felt really energized by the conversation. I kind of realized that during the pandemic, my world felt like it got a lot smaller as most everyone's did, I'm, I mm. think. And that, you know, I really missed kind of like the serendipitous relationships and conversations and moments in life that happen when you're just kind of going through the world as opposed to being stuck in your home. And I don't know, we talked about that in that conversation, everything from, you know, recipes that she was like cooking um, to her newborn, to like different um, like job frustrations and to like this interesting sort of um, startup that her husband was working on. And so it just, I felt like it kind of fed my soul a little and I was like, I'm gonna do more of this. And a couple of weeks later was actually my birthday. And I just kind of impulsively, you know, said that I was gonna have a hundred conversation, interesting conversations this year. And I posted, you know, instead of like doing the traditional, you know, thanks everyone for the, <laughs> my birthday, for reaching out on my birthday. I said, you know, thank you, but I'm looking to have a hundred interesting conversations this year. Here's a Calendly link, you know, please sign up. And I think the sort of the only confines to or boundaries I put on it were that to me, I define what an interesting conversation was and that it really had two elements. Um, there, I had to learn something in the conversation or feel like I was learning. Um, and that didn't have to be like a big discovery, but it had to be sort of an, uh, like something to open my world or open my eyes and that there was some sort of uh, connection formed or built. Um, and so that was really the criteria. And I just had people sort of sign up. Um, and I mean, candidly, I'm not, I basically during the, during the project, there are a lot of things that I kind of tweaked along the way because I did this impulsively and I didn't really think through like how I wanted this to look, what, you know, should there, just the process of it and the process of the actual conversations and such. And so I um, tweak stuff along the way, but I, you know, originally I was looking to do this in a year and I realized that I was kind of sacrificing the quality for quantity. And so I'm probably a third of the, well, a little more than a third of the way through the conversations and have kind of taken off 
the timeline of it um, mm -hmm. and a little more formality to it or structure to it. So you have done about 30? No, uh, like a little under 40. So like probably 40. Like mm -hmm. 30, I think 37 actually. Mm -hmm. So what has been your experience? So you've done it now about a year or a little over a year, a it sounds three. like. Yeah. yeah. So what's been your experience so far with the whole process? And then secondly, are there any stories that you can share anonymously, of course? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I think process wise, I've, you know, I kind of, I stopped, I mean, I still have the Calendly link and theoretically, I guess it's still on my LinkedIn somewhere if you find it, but I stopped kind of having the, the signups like that just because, I don't know, I felt like I wanted to have a little more sort of agency in who I was selecting. And while all of those conversations were great, I honestly can't think of one that I didn't enjoy. I felt like there sh I should have some sort of agency in it. So that was one of the things. And I struggle with that I did because there were a lot of people that signed up that I wouldn't have thought to talk to. I have struggled or thought about, you know, doing that again and sort of putting it out to like the virtual universe. Um, so that was like one thing I've kind of um, changed. I formalized questions. So I also, you know, started with like a free flow conversation because I didn't want, I'm very cognizant of the fact that I'm a lawyer and I don't, I want to try it, try as much as possible for it not to be, in, feel like an interview or a deposition. I really want it to be a conversation. And for me, I think a, a conversation is a dialogue where both people are exchanging ideas and thoughts um, and questions. And so I didn't want there to be sort of formal questions that I was asking, but then I kind of added some questions at the end where after there's been a free flow of exchange of ideas so that I have some sort of consistency between all of these conversations, because I think, you know, after the first 15, I felt like there was no similar thread to it. And because mm -hmm. the people who were signing up were from all random parts of my life, there was even less, like less threads of, um, consistency between all of them. So I started mm -hmm. to have like five to six questions that are all sort of at least similar. And what um, are the type of questions? So the questions I ask are things that I'm kind of curious about. Um, I ask one question about kind of if people have a life plan um, or if they had a life plan, if they stuck to it um, and how they feel about how they stuck to it. I ask about happiness and people's like level of happiness and have them sort of, I give them a scale and ask them to kind of where they fall in happiness. Um, I ask people about like challenges in their own life and how they've confronted or nav navigated a challenging situation. Um, I ask about people's relationship to parenthood, um, meaning they may have children and what was their process to kind of get there. And then also if they're child-free, what does that life look like and how do they find meaning and purpose? Um, and then I have a question that I ask about like uh, uh, death and like what they're, how they kind of, how the concept of death plays into their life at all or impacts their daily life. I um, find so that really interesting because those are not your typical small talk questions, right? And I think that's part of the intent, right? That you yeah. intentionally wanted to go beyond the surface level, yeah. right? Yeah. And we're, what's that? I'm just curious of all those questions, is there one that you feel across all the conversations you've had has given you the biggest insights for yourself? It, can you say that? Is, is there like yeah. a takeaway? Mm -hmm. I mean, I will say I thought at first because I don't live by life plan. So I mm -hmm. was always kind of curious if people who had a life plan and lived by it, like, were they more content or were that, did their lives turn out differently than mine? Because that's how they live their life. But that actual question 
ends up not being that interest. Like it's not that it's not interesting, but it's it it feels like the answer that I get is you know what I would expect, I guess. And the happiness question, you know, everyone seems to be the same level of happiness, but which obviously can't be the case. So that again <laughs> is not you know the question that I get the most impact from for me personally. Challenges in life is interesting um, because a lot of people end up talking about like the death of a parent and, you know, knock on wood, I have not lost a parent yet. So that does become a relevant question for me, but, or an an interesting question to me Mm. um, because it starts, it makes me think about things that I intentionally kind of choose not to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, But the parenthood and death one are the, probably the most interesting and impactful for me. Um, Meaning like death specifically, how do you, you know, figure out Mm -hmm. like, what is your relationship to death and what is it, you know, how does it shape your life? Because I, that's a, I don't, I try to like, I don't know. I kind of live my life not thinking about that Mm -hmm. because many, many people do. Yeah. But I don't, I feel like Mm -hmm. that probably, I don't know if it's a, it's definitely protective. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. it's positive, but I feel like a lot Mm -hmm. of people, you get really interesting questions, really interesting responses to that question. And the parenthood is question is kind of interesting to me. Um, and I kind of struggle with how it's formulated because I think it's different when I'm asking someone who has children mm-hmm. versus someone who doesn't have children. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I don't have um, children and that was something that I sort of explored at, at one point fairly actively and, you know, actively sort of made the decision that I wasn't going to try any longer. And so mm-hmm. I think part of this whole project a little came from the, like, how do you find purpose if you're not a parent and you having a child-free life? Cause I think you can. Mm-hmm. And so that question ends up getting interesting answers because a lot of people who it, they just gives, it gives me ways to think about it that I hadn't thought about it before. And people actually oddly get um, particularly vulnerable with that question, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been kind of, you know, interesting more so from women than men to be perfectly honest. Oh, no, that, uh, that's super interesting. And so I think about it. So in, in, in employee experience or in design thinking, sometimes we we talk about moments that matter mm-hmm. um, and there are those, you know, those high points and those pits in life or transition points. And it's sort of interesting because the two that you mentioned, parenthood and um, death, death definitely being a pit in your life and parenthood, some sort of a transition, right, in your life, that those were exactly the, the two that people really, or those are the ones that seem to yield the most interesting answers or insights. So this is interesting. I mean, the other thing that I find kind of interesting about it is that people don't talk about it. Like it's not stuff people Mm -hmm. talk about. And Mm -hmm. so there is a piece of me that kind of likes Mm -hmm. asking a question that doesn't, people don't enjoy talking, not enjoy talking about, but don't talk about it because like, I think it just kind of takes the taboo out of it a little too. And it makes Mm -hmm. me feel more comfortable talking about things that I don't typically feel comfortable talking about. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think there's like, they aren't light topics, but like, I think people talk about them more once you start to talk about it, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. I noticed it, the more I started talking about it, like the more I'm realizing that people, like it does come up in conversation. I think you just have to be open to it Mm -hmm. um, and know sort of like the audience too. Yeah. Are there maybe one or two stories that kind of stuck with you um, for I mean, whatever there, reason? Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm trying to think. I I think I would, you know, one of the, I mean, this is not a story, but a thing, the thing that I kind of noticed was that 
a lot of the people I were talking to, I found interesting that other people wouldn't necessarily think are interesting. Not because they're not interesting, but because they're people who like I have some sort of very artificial relationship with or arm's length relationship with, and I get to know them in a different way. So they're interesting to me because it's someone who I might have had a social media arm's length relationship to, but I've never really talked to, or I've never had like a very substantive conversation with. And so I find it interesting because I'm really learning about a whole other side to side to someone. Mm -hmm. um, and so those in some ways have been the most interesting conversations to me because you're going deep with someone you kind of know, but don't really know. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's kind of also interesting to like push the boundaries or respect the boundaries in that conversation. Um, so that's like one subset that I would say is interesting, but not necessarily an interesting story. Um, I think another thing is, you know, because I want it to be a conversation, like a lot of times the, you know, person, because of the nature of the conversation, like, I think the person will push back on me. And so one of the people I spoke to was someone who that actively signed up with someone who I'd gone on a couple of dates with, like, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, 18 years ago, and I'm still single. They're married and they're happily married, but it was a very interesting conversation because during it, he was very pointed and said to me, like, why do you think you're still single? And I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst annoying <laughs> question ever. And I kind of was like, okay, I got to like answer this. And, you know, I, I answered it, the, but like, I felt like kind of put on the spot, but realized I'm putting him on the spot by asking, you know, mm asking him questions. So I have to answer. And I also kind of felt like slightly judged because of like the way, you know, where we had been and had dated very mm -hmm. lightly or not for very long mm -hmm. a long time ago. And I realized that he actually had no like malintent with it. He was actually really just curious. He, mm -hmm. you know, I said, why you know, I think I put it back on him after, you know, saying that I just don't think I've met the right person or the timing was right for anything. And I said, just out of curiosity, why did you ask me that? Um, or what may, what prompted you to ask that? And he said, no, I just actually was really curious. Some people choose not to get married and don't want to get married or don't want to, you know, be in mm -hmm. a partnership. And I wasn't sure if that was the case. And then he went in, went on to sort of explaining like his view of marriage and that it, there's like an 80, 20 thing that you're happy 80% of the time and not 20% of the time. And like about the different percent efforts, efforts, <laughs> levels of effort you put in. And I was like, wow, this is not what I was expecting, but it was like a very interesting exchange of ideas after I sort of was like, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not being attacked here. Um, I mean, I think other ones have been interesting because of the format in which they've taken place. So, you know, I have a colleague and his wife um, who I know fairly well, but became bird watchers during the pandemic. And so I did a, con they were my, the first time I had a conversation with two different, you know, two people at the same time and who I know fairly well, but not his wife, not that well. And we've had open conversations, but they took me bird watching and we, our conversation took place over bird watching. And so I was learning something about bird watching and that this activity and subculture that exists in Central Park and learning about like what sort of made them excited about it. And then also learning about them in the process. Um, and the funny thing about that uh, is that I took a picture of them and apparently, not apparently, it got put posted in some sort of bird watching um, bird watching, uh, like uh, enthusiast group. Uh, yeah. Some sort of, uh, like a magazine, some sort of bird watching or some civic group. And he contacted me saying like, my friend was like, do you mind if it gets posted there? I'm like, no, but can I get a photo credit? I was totally kidding. 
Um, but I ended up having out now a photo credit in a random bird watching um, publication because of it. So that was like an interesting takeaway. And then the other one that was kind of interesting, really quickly, I'm sorry if I'm like overstepping. No, no, this is so interesting. Um, was a friend of mine who was a very good friend of mine signed up. And I actually specifically had not reached out to friend, like very close friends of mine because I didn't want there to, you know, like I didn't, I don't know. I mean, some people I have, but I've just been kind of cognizant of like, I don't know. I know them also pretty well. So for me to have these conversations, like I don't, I kind of know the answers to some of them, but one of my friends had uh, reached out and we had been at dinner the week before and she was explaining to me how she believed like to a group of people that she believed in ghosts. And I kind of had a ridiculous react, not ridiculous, but probably a judgmental reaction to it. And I, you know, was kind of, I didn't understand that. And, you know, I, she ended up signing up two days later to have a conversation with me about her like belief in ghosts. And it was a really interesting conversation because that's all we talked about. And I think, you know, I, it gave me sort of an appreciation for being able to sort of look at things, having had an experience and being open to like certain things. And I think she's kind of what she should have said is I believe in other spirits or other forces, Mm. not necessarily ghosts. Cause I think there's probably a lot of ideas that come with the, the term ghosts. But when she started to discuss it in terms of other spirits and other forces out there, I kind of appreciated it in a different sense. And while that's not something I necessarily agree with or had experiences with, I kind of appreciate it now and be more open to like that sort of experience, I guess. Um, So that was kind of interesting too, because it was a close friend of mine who I talked about something that we might not otherwise have talked about and I had expressed not a great opinion of and then my opinion was changed so that was an interesting story slash experience for me Mm -hmm. yeah it seems like what all these stories share is that they all expanded your horizon in a way that you could have never imagined yeah going into this right because you didn't prepare to talk a specific topic necessarily always, right? Uh, you went in sort of with an open mind and then what, wherever the conversation led, it were even in a different location, like with the bird watchers, right? Yeah. To totally new experiences uh, that you would have never maybe sought out by yourself, it sounds like. Totally. And I think, um, I think I always struggled with that in the beginning. Like, what am I doing with this? What is the purpose of it? I knew that I was getting something from it. Like, mental it was like I found it nourishing and I enjoyed every single conversation um but I kind of was like what is the purpose and what am I doing with it and I feel like sometimes you know I don't know having been a goal-oriented person my entire life like to start something without an end goal is frustrating or you know not not so settling but the one thing I guess I've kind of learned from this or experienced is that like different things have come out of it that I would not have done like the photo credit came through or one of my conversations um, or, and frankly, the other thing that's kind of interesting, some of these have become continuing conversations. So some of the mm-hmm. people I've talked with, you know, extends past one conversation and it has become a continuous, you know, not regular, but spans over a couple of different like times of period, times of conversation. But um, one of the people I spoke to is the person who led a panel that I was on for you which led me to this conversation I'm having with you now. And so mm-hmm. I feel like it definitely has expanded my way, expanded my world in a lot of ways and given me different experiences that I might not have had otherwise. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely getting some value of it, even if I don't, or, you know, enjoyment from it, even if I don't necessarily know where I'm ending up with it. Yeah. And so, so this is sort of the personal, what you 
get from it or what you've gotten from it. And and if we shift to work, what kind of struck me as I was thinking about this more and more was that, you know, what lawyers and HR professionals share is that we use questions as a tool, right, for you for investigative purposes, us for assessing somebody's talent. But it's for if you if you want to say it that way, really for extractive sort of purposes, right? Uh, we have a goal in mind. It's a tool to achieve this very specific goal, which often is judging somebody about something, right? So what struck me is that this way of conversation that you've employed is sort of opposite of that, right? So I was just curious. Um, whether you feel that these conversations have changed also the way you approach your work? Um, that's a very good question. Um, so I work in a very uh, unique sort of field within law. I'm an investigative attorney. And so um, a lot of times I'm asking questions that I know the answer to, but I'm also looking for people to speak and give me more information that I'm getting. And you know, everyone's style is very different when they're asking questions, whether they're a lawyer or an HR professional. Some people are sort of very by the book, um, linear and, um, you know, direct. Other people, I think I have a little more of a looser style and kind of I'm curious about, you know, where a conversation will go or what someone will say, um, because it's all, you know, any information is good information for me. Um, even if it's proving, you know, the theory of my case wrong, I, you know, that that's helpful too. So I'm not looking for a specific answer. And so I am not sure that I've necessarily changed the way that I ask questions, but I think the way that I approach the interview in my work, I do interviews or I guess would be, what would be most akin to like sort of a, I guess a deposition, but not as formal. Um, and I would say that I, I think I spend more time in thinking about who I'm meeting with. And like mm -hmm. what the dynamics are before I get to the inner before I get to the interview. And I think I, you know, I, I spend just as much time thinking about the questions that I'm asking someone, but also the way that I'm asking them. And mm -hmm. establish, you know, in my work, I need to sort of establish a rapport with someone and, and establish credibility so that they share information with me and make feel someone feel comfortable. And so you know, I think a lot of people think that that happens once you get in the door. And I think it really happens once you contact the person, you know, it starts from your first contact with the person and reaching out to them to schedule the meeting or schedule the interview. Um, and you establish rapport then and it just continues or doesn't continue. And so I think much more about that, like I'm, you know, much more open to, you know, working with someone in terms of like scheduling. And so even though I'm technically, you know, because I work for sort of in a law enforcement agency, I'm technically in a position of power, but I give people grace in terms of scheduling. I want to, you know, I want someone to feel comfortable. I don't, you know, um, so I'm very cognizant and I, I think more so now in terms of setting up these interviews and meetings and like the process of establishing rapport really starts, you know, at the time that you make your first outreach, not when you walk into the room to have your interview. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, uh, I also think I think a little more about how the person, you know, what they might be feeling before they're coming to meet with me. We meet with all different types, you know, I interview all different types of witnesses or people, and some people might be the focus of our investigation. Some people might be a background witness. Um, someone might be, uh, you know, someone who's just kind of 
tangentially, you know, related to a situation. And I think that I really like make sure to like be cognizant of that when I'm talking to them, because I don't necessarily treat everyone the same. I treat everyone respectfully, but I, I think, you know, you might treat someone a little more um, carefully given how they might be coming up and, you know, showing up for something um, <laughs> more sort of um, empathetic about, how, you know, how they might be feeling about this. Um, and I think, you know, it's like another thing I, I think about is like a lot of the stuff, and I don't know if this is just as I've gotten older in my career, um, or this has been something that has like been gleaned from, you know, asking a lot of different people questions in a lot of different settings and a lot of them being sort of uncomfortable sometimes to talk about, mm -hmm. but it's all not just thinking about what is said, but what's not said. Um, mm -hmm. and sometimes that there's a very good reason why something might not be said, but list like act to be actively listening to what someone's saying and what they're not saying. Um, and I think those are like really important things that I, I think I focus on more, um, mm -hmm. after having this experience. Um, and then I guess this is, you know, also you never know where like a conversation can lead and you can always kind of learn something. And I sometimes, if I'm working with another colleague in a case and they're getting frustrated with someone sort of rambling on or talking, I, you know, it's like my pet peeve when they cut them off because you kind of don't know where they're going to go. And I think you don't let someone go on for, you know, an hour or two hours on a point that really has no significance to you or relevance to you. But sometimes I'm a little more open to letting someone talk and sort of seeing where they go with it, because I think you can sort of learn stuff sometimes in that those unscripted or unplanned moments. Yeah, this is so interesting. I'm sort of struck by the parallels to what you just described to what in design thinking we use in the discovery phase, we use story-based open-ended questions to gain empathy with the user um, or in HR case, the employee, if we want to find out more about their experience with HR services or programs, right? So let's say performance management, you know, and tell me about, you know, the last time you experienced, you know, giving or receiving feedback or something like that, right? And then go from there. And so the active listening, the empathy-based approach, the you know, seeing where the story leads, all the things that you just mentioned are sort of also considered good practices when we interview uh, in design thinking. So um, that's what I was hoping for because I thought you give us could give us some really um, great insights from the way you learned about different kind of questioning mm -hmm. um, as a way for us to practice those type of questions when we do design thinking. So uh, I think you gave us some, I mean, I want to let you react to that. I know you don't know design thinking per se, but yeah, I mean, the other thing I think that's um, interesting that I really have learned is like a better conversation has always been, and I know this is actually, mm. this is kind of trite, but a better conversation is always when there's kind of an exchange of ideas and that mm -hmm. like there's some level or element of like vulnerability shared. And I know there's like a lot of thought pieces on like mm -hmm. vulnerability and stuff, but I think that there's really mm -hmm. something to that. And, you know, in my work, I, I don't know. I mean, I think some people are very, um, sort of very buttoned up and prone to having sort of a like not make like not have them see you sweat moments mm -hmm. and really sort of shy away from being vulnerable or like I don't know if you drop a pen like not mm -hmm. a big deal or something like that and I think people get sort of on edge and I think like I'm much more sort of allow myself to be vulnerable in those moments even if I'm coming to the table with the power because like uh -huh. it doesn't really it doesn't 
change the situation, but it could change the dynamic and lead to like a better exchange of information or ideas than if like you're just operating like I have the power and the other. Mm -hmm. I love that. So it can also help us disrupt a little bit the power dynamics that both of us, again, you as an attorney, we as HR professionals, possibly like in an interview process, we have the power, but we also have a choice how we use that power in that moment. So I love that. Thank you so much. I think that's a great way to end it. We're not quite done because um, uh, at the end, I always um, give my guests a quote and let them react to it. Are you ready? Ready. (laughs) Okay. Quote. Questions enable us to forge an even stronger, deeper relationship with the people closest to us. And worth noting, in these polarizing times, questions can help us understand and begin to relate to those who see the world very differently, unquote. Warren Berger. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. I would much rather have an interesting and thought-provoking and uncomfortable conversation with someone, even if they're close to me, because I think you get a better understanding of who they are and they have a better understanding of who, who you are, even if the, the, the difference of, even if there's a difference of opinion, as long as, you know, you can respect the fact that the other person has a difference in opinion. So I, I sort of encourage and embrace and don't shy away from difficult um, conversations or, confl- you know, those types of conversations. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks, everybody. And see you in a future Talent Tales. Bye.